Hey everyone, we've got a new pitch website, pitchpodcast.fm. Comment on your favorite episodes, get all the latest news and discuss the podcast with us, pitchpodcast.fm. If you become a subscriber, you'll be able to access real pitches and ad-free episodes. Watch member-only live streams starring us, your hosts, and ask questions we'll answer in future pitch episodes. Join us at pitchpodcast.fm and help us bring you more great content. Welcome to Pitch. For this week's episode, we're finishing up our chat with Jeffrey D. Calhoun, screenwriter, author of the book, The Guide for Every Screenwriter, and creator and host of the Successful Screenwriter Podcast. We pick up where we left off last episode, with Leah asking Jeffrey for three proactive things that newer writers should be doing. Let's find out what he has to say. Um, Proactively... Besides writing, of course. Right. The hardest part is getting your butt in the seat, though. Proactively, you need... I mean really look at it as a craft and more than an art. See, one thing that I, w- I used to run into, and I don't run into it so much more now, but I think it's probably because of my reputation, but I would get scripts that were coming that were clearly unpolished and needed a lot of work. Um, and I would approach the the writer like, hey, we have some work to do here and, and, uh, and uh, would get hit with a lot of negative feedback, feedback. I would get hit from like a lot of negative comments from that writer. Um, and I've heard crazy things like you don't understand my genius um, and and stuff like that. And I'd say <laughs> one, let's not, let's not make that be the first thing you tell somebody Sorry. who teaches screenwriting. <laughs> but, um, but you would hear things like that, or I'm an artist. And, and so mm-hmm. when, I, when I hear those things, or when a producer hears it, or any other writer hears it, all they're hearing is your insecurity. That's all they're hearing. That has nothing to do with betterment of the craft or making the project better. Um, So I I think a a level of humility is really something you need. And being willing to learn and to get better um, will bring more relationships into your life around screenwriting to help you blossom and bloom. Because, you know, like you guys know, if you get a script that comes in and it's really good... Now you're like, I have to like know this person now. I have to like mm-hmm. bring them into yep. my circle. Like I was happy. And then mm-hmm. you came in here and yeah. now we're going to have to have like a friendship and stuff. It's going to be weird. Yeah. Um, I think so. That's what happened with I Leah and I. She she was really disappointed that my script she read was halfway decent. She's like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not just halfway decent. It was I, very good. I thought I could just yeah. put them in my movie shirtless and now here it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I think that's so important to remember, though, is you wrote this thing. It's the blueprint to a movie. You're sending it off into the world to find connection points. Those connection points aren't just for the movie, but they're for the life that you will have as a writer. Yeah, absolutely. You, you want to keep in mind when you're receiving notes, and this is very hard for me to do, um, ADHD. I don't like criticism, but I, I'm used to it. It's like, it just rolls off the back now because the person giving you the criticism, if you've given it to the right person, that person cares about your story. Mm-hmm. And so if you take the note through that lens, you are more um, susceptible to the goodness of it. Yeah. But you I have think, to, you're right. you have to get it to the right people. That's something that I learned pretty early on that Angel gave it to the wrong people a lot of times. And and sometimes the people I give it to now are still the wrong people. Um, 
I find. It, it's fascinating. I at, at one point, I was like, oh, I'm not going to give my script out to just casual friends anymore because they no. want to read it. Because like, yeah. where I was like, wait, what is what is the actual exchange here? You know, yeah. and if they choose to give notes, are they qualified? Are they not? Like, how do I like navigate that tricky? A tricky, a tricky waters of giving the script to people. It's, I, I find you really. It's a targeted really touching on it. Yeah, yes, yeah, like a targeted group of people to get feedback from, right? No, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's an it's an it's an incredible observation because, um, one one you have to know when you're getting a bad note. You know, your ego is going to want to tell you every note is bad, but honestly, you have to know like, no, this is this is just a bad note. Um, and two everybody thinks they're a screenwriter. I'm like, I'm sorry, but, but they do. And, and I don't mean that from like arrogance. It's just that everybody watches movies. Everybody watches television. And so everybody thinks like, Oh yeah, I can do this. And it's a Dunning Kruger effect. So if you, if you guys are familiar with the Dunning Kruger curve, it starts out with the least, you know, about something, the most confident you are about it. Yep. So it's like, yeah, I can do that. That's fine, right? You're up here on the curve. You sit down and you bang out your first script. And then you're like, come on, I, I wrote 160 pages. That ain't that hard. You know, and then <laughs> and then you get you get notes back from it. You try another script and you start going, Oh man, maybe I'm not so good. Well, your confidence is dropping because you're starting to learn now <laughs> that maybe there is more to this than that craft. Right. Now, after 10 or 15 years and you've attained a ton of knowledge and you're hitting like wisdom level of like, I get this, your confidence begins to rise again. But from, for most of your career, you're going down in confidence as you're learning more about the craft. So it is, it is quite fascinating. So when you get those first, you know, notes from somebody, they think they know what they're doing and it's not against them. They just don't know any better yet. So you have yeah. to identify that bad note. Yeah. And I think that's one of those, like I asked you for three proactive things. This is the second thing where you need to send your stuff out to receive criticism from your peers in, in draft, you know, draft one, two, three, four, because yeah. ultimately you want to make it better. And those notes will make it better if it's yeah. an informed audience that you're submitting it to. I love and, that. And be specific about what notes you want. Like, don't just hand it to someone and say, I want notes. Well, do you want notes or do you want to know that this is a good story? Do you want me to just tell you that? Or do you want me to go page by page? Like when somebody asks me for notes, you're usually going to get eight pages of single space Microsoft Word in response to that. So be prepared. I give by page bullet notes. It is crazy. <laughs> so like yeah. I'm like six yeah. hours into it. I'm like, here we go. It takes yeah, me a yeah. minimum of four hours to read and give notes to something. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. yeah. It takes you two hours to read a script. I mean, at least yeah. me, you know, and, and, and I struggle. So, uh, well, thank you for helping with me with number two. Uh, so <laughs> number three, to not break a promise. Um, thank, and, and thank this, you. And this is going to be from uh, left field, but I don't want to say something that everybody else is always saying is, I, I think you really need to know why you're doing it. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this because this is your art? Are you doing this because this is your craft? Are you doing this because there is a need for you to get better? Are you doing this because you have a great story and you feel this is the best way to tell it? 
or are you just doing this to do it? Because if you don't know what your true motivation is, then you won't ever actually know when you've made it, right? Like my my motivation is to help other screenwriters get better, but it's also to tell stories and move people emotionally. I want to move you and I want you to go through this journey that makes you think about things when you leave in a safe way so that you're not like, I'm not beating you over the head thematically, but maybe I'll touch someone somewhere. And that means a lot to me. And so that's why I do it. Um, and I know I made it when I got notes back from a producer and they told me they cried twice reading it. That's when I knew like, okay, I'm there. This is where I need to be. That's fabulous. Yeah. Um, I think that this goes into uh, Charles Bukowski was, and I love half of the things that he's written, like absolutely love half of the things that he's written and then half of it, not so much, but he has this poem. So you want to be a writer. I'm sure you're familiar with this poem and it just talks about exactly what you're talking about, which is you have to have this passion for the thing that you're doing. Like the woman told you when she said, do you love what you do? And yeah. you didn't have that answer. Like you're going to get beaten up with notes. You're going to be rewritten. You're going to be on top of the world one minute and the next day everything is devastated, right? So yeah. you have to have a driving force behind the reason that you want to be a writer because it will level you. And Bukowski has that, so you want to be a writer. And the, the front of the poem, the first stanza begins, if it doesn't come bursting out of you in spite of everything, don't do it. And he just has this litany of, of why you shouldn't do it and why you should be doing it. Mm, yeah. So I, I, I absolutely hate the half of the things that Bukowski said that Leah loves and love the other half that she feels <laughs> mm, about. So It's probably accurate. <laughs> I always tell people screenwriting is the best, worst thing I've ever done. Oh, man. That sentiment because is shared. I love it. And... There's nothing like breaking a script. There's nothing like mm -hmm. fixing a script for someone that's broken. I mean, mm -hmm. I love that when I have a producer call me and like the dead of the night and they're like, we're going into shooting and the script doesn't make sense. I'm like, a thunderbolt and lightning just fills me. And I'm like, let's do this. And then like, I just I love it. Um, but then it is hard, man. I mean, it will level you. I've cried. Yeah. I've cried while writing. I mean, it is... It is, um, it is something, but that's, but that's when I know it's the right thing. And speaking of writing, right? So I want to know, because I've been working on this limited TV series for the past two years. I've, I've read every book about the mafia in the 1930s that I can get my hands on. I've read okay. like court transcripts. Um, I've interviewed like ex, um, ex hitmen's grandsons from the mafia. I'm two years in and I just started writing the pilot. Great. Uh, You're on track. I'm on track. And I, I want to make sure that our listeners know that it is something that takes a lot of time. So why don't you talk us through from concept to final draft, what are the steps that you're taking? Like you're doing outlines, you're doing beat sheets, you're getting notes back. What are your steps and how much time does that take um, now? Thank you for this question. Uh, you don't develop, you don't write the pilot first. You write a pilot first. When people tell me I wrote a, I wrote a pilot, I mean, 
writers think a uh, script should be 90 to 120 pages. Nobody writes 120 page scripts anymore. You should 86 to 106 is usually a good around in general, but they'll see that. And then they'll see, oh, I can write a TV pilot for 55 or 60 pages. I'll write a TV pilot. And they don't, they don't know yet that writing a TV pilot is technically advanced screenwriting. If you've never written a feature, you should not be writing a TV pilot. It's it's so hard. It's like yeah. the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It's literally but, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. There, I mean, when you're writing a TV pilot, you are developing the world, right? You have to de- you have to develop the world. You have to de- develop the characters that live in that world. You have to um, sit there and do world building, which is why you've been reading so many books, so that you can write a story that seems authentic and transports yeah. people into that world. And then they have to be able to speak as if they belong there. I mean, I can't write a cowboy TV show and throw in, you know, like awesome. Like no one says that. <laughs> you know? No. So you have to really develop the world. Um, if you look at like Game of Thrones, for instance. Um, you have so much depth there. And then what you're doing with that TV pilot is you are providing just little seeds, man. You're putting in little seeds of little, little moments within that pilot that seem normal. They seem natural, but then you can mine that seed and build it out in season two and season three. And one of my favorite moments in a TV pilot was on the show Arrow. And in the pilot, you know, the green arrow, he gets off the island and he's back in the real world. There is this one brief scene where he runs into two Russian gangsters and speaks Russian and they respect him and they let him through the door. And that is it. And you go, oh, that was weird. Well, they mine that six season later. And in the sixth season, it's all about how he was in the Russian mob. So, I mean, it's like these, these little moments right there that you're building in. And then also building the macro arc of the character. Because when you're building a TV pilot, your character is going to change. That's what their journey is about. It's about changing. And I I specify it's about changing because it's not about growth. Breaking Bad is not about a guy who becomes better. It's about a guy who becomes worse. So you can create a character. They just have to change from who they are, mild-mannered, you know, high school chemistry teacher to, you know, drug lord at the Mm -hmm. end of the show, right? So they have to go through this path of change. Um, And that can be very overwhelming when you're developing developing that for the pilot. So uh, an easier way to look at it is like, who do I want this person to be, right? And you start with who who I want them to be at the end of the show, at the termination of the show, and then build backwards. Like you would a thriller. When you write a thriller, you start with the ending. You start with the head in the box. Okay. And then you work your way backwards and on how you got there. So I recommend the same for writing a pilot. And for you, are you doing are you doing note cards, outlines, or doing beat sheets? Are you doing a, a yeah. Bible? Like what all is going into into this for oh, you? Thank you. Uh, note cards are the devil for me. I will not touch them. I know that is a Hollywood standard, and you same, have same your, for me, man. Same for yeah, me, man. You got I only used it once. Cards. I can't do it. I hate it. I do. It was, I, go ahead. Oh, it was helpful because I did um, I did a double narrative. Part of the script took place in the 70s and part of it took place in the 90s. And yeah. so it was only color color coordinated so I could differentiate the timeline. And, that, and I've never used it since. Oh, that's cool. I uh, I do a six foot long dry erase board. 
and a timeline and a visual timeline. So I literally write a timeline that goes across the board and then I stand back and I just, I just sit with it. And then I go in and I, I mark a time and, you know, I had, and then I'll have timelines per character. Um, so I'll have like, okay, here's this character's timeline. That's their own timeline. I'll have another one for another character. And then eventually I will superimpose all this is so complicated. <laughs> I'll superimpose them all on each other so that you can see all the timelines together. It's the same thing as no cards. It's just that being <laughs> dyslexic and no cards, they don't work for me because I yeah. think in pictures. So I have to see it that way. So I have a background as an investigative journalist and my boss, Bill Mushi, would take paper up on the wall and go all across the, the wall right by the trim. Yeah. And he would write the timeline out so oh, that he could stand in the room and pivot and look at the entire timeline because yeah. it, it matters. Like where are your connection points? Where was this witness? At what time? Where was, where was the perp? Where was the accused? Where was the innocent man? It makes perfect. I mean, yeah. and Benjamin Percy does something similar where he takes Melissa and Doug, you know, the, the children's easel paper. Mm -hmm. He'll take that easel paper and just whoosh, around the room. Awesome. Yeah, I think for me, it's just standing there and being with the story and um, and just kind of help breathing it in. Um, it just it just really helps. And when I sit with directors, I'll do a I'll do a PowerPoint of my timelines. <laughs> Okay. All right. So here's, here's, you know, like with finding Nicole. Okay. Here's Nicole's timeline. All right. And then here's the husband's timeline. Okay. Here's the overall timeline. I will sit there and pace it through um, with, with directors and uh, they, you know, they liked it. So it is think, a little weird. I think, I don't think it's weird. I think it speaks to how we actually consume the end product because it transpires over time. Right. So rather than a stack of pages or a stack of note cards, which are not analogous to time passing, mm -hmm. we literally consume something in in the the Western you know literature sense. We read left to right, you know, we yeah. follow the story left yeah. to right, and then if you're on a, a whiteboard or you have timelines that go up and down, it it literally arcs what like our abstract phenomenon of time passing is. Yeah, with the exception of story circles which is like a clock right so even that yeah. arcs what our perception or uh our best representation of our timekeeping devices were for a long time it's like yeah. 12 6 9 12 you know so yeah. i think it makes perfect sense and this is something i've had to communicate with producers about is like look this getting a whiteboard is going to be so helpful for us they're like well can't we just write it and i'm like we can but if you want it to be like tolerable <laughs> <laughs> Angel has so many whiteboards in his house. Yeah, I've got like awesome. one behind me. I got a big one. So I, I, I'm with, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you on that. Like the the timeline, the visual timeline, being able to step back from it, and it also it's kind of like a screen, right? Like we literally yeah. watch mm -hmm. either on a movie screen or television screen or computer screen. We sit back and we observe, right? It's not yeah. necessarily a an engaged process. So we need that perspective shifting. I do at least to create the story. I, I like it. I sit there, I'll have like a hot chai latte and I'll just be kind of checking it out. My kid will walk in and he'll see me breaking the story. What you doing? I'll walk him through and be like, okay, he'll come up with some ideas. I'm like, you're not getting a credit on this. And then I'll just keep going. So. that's great. Um, so I only have three more questions. 
Okay. Are you are you ready? This they're they're fun and easy. And I have no more questions. I, I'm done. You've answered everything <laughs> I've ever wanted to know. All right. So everybody everybody always asks, oh, how did how did how do you get X? Like how do you get a manager? How do you get an agent? Okay. How do you get your thing made? And every answer is different, right? There's no one way. So my question to you is, because there is no one way, instead of me asking you how, how did this happen, uh, tell me the story of when you sold your first thing, or if there's an interesting story behind something that you sold. I sold, I optioned the first script I ever wrote. So keep bragging. I know. It's like, I don't want to answer this question. It wasn't. No, on, do it. It's just like. <laughs> Here's the the thing. accidental screenwriter accidentally sells his first thing. Here's the thing. Like, I really think everybody's first script is really special because mm -hmm. I think everybody has something in them they want to say and express, and they can express it in that first script. I've seen a lot of people's first scripts who they've gone through and really polished win contests because it's special. There's something in there that is unique to you and producers can see that and be like, this is different, but this works. Um, it's the second and third script. That's what separates the, the kids from the adults in the room. Um, so yeah, I, I optioned the first one. I never got made. Um, and, and I couldn't option a script for like a decade after that. So um, it's the, the first one, I, I just thought like, oh, you write a script and people want to buy it. Like I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize that there was more to it than that. Um, after that, I started realizing, oh my God, that was a fluke. I don't know how it happened. And it just happened really because of people that I knew. Um, and really, honestly, that shouldn't have happened. Um, then it, it came into, you know, just networking and meeting people and really trying to provide value for others. I mean, that that's really where I found a difference in my career is that I don't meet you. I'm not trying to like take, take, take. I'm trying to help you solve a problem. And if in the, in the future you want to come back to me and work with me and collaborate or recommend me to somebody else, even better. But I just want to help and collaborate. And it's, uh, it's worked out for me so far, but also like you need to know when you're ready. I think that's another problem is that, you know, people jump the gun. Like I didn't really start getting scripts out there until I had already been writing for five years. Um, so like, it, it, like really sit with the craft and, and, and take it seriously and really, really try and learn it and develop your skill before you're looking for a manager. I mean, so many, writers and I've been there. I have been yeah. this guy, you know, the desperate guy who just needs a manager or an agent. Cause then I'll make it. And like, they, you need to understand like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I think that part of what you're saying rings so true because it's not about trying to get your thing made. It's about making a connection. Like Angel and I met on the set and then I cast him in my movie and then he pitched his story Red Lighters to me. I'm like, well, I want to produce that. And then I pitched my, my, um, what was it called? Homewood. Homewood is the first script that I ever wrote and Angel's like, well, let me read it. And I was like, well, you'd be a really good director. So you're finding all of these like connections through 
friends that you already have in the industry, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm making new connections and create and, and I don't believe in luck. I believe in creating opportunity. Mm. Um, and so I, I have created a lot of opportunity. Um, I, I went a year where I just traveled around to film festivals and I spent a year doing that. Um, well, from there, I got invited to teach screenwriting in Ghana, Africa. And I had to teach screenwriting to two kids in Africa. I was like, okay, do you have a screenwriter program? No. How long do I have to teach screenwriting? Two weeks. Okay. Uh-huh. So I, I developed a screenwriting program to teach kids in Africa um, screenwriting. So I, I did that and I, I got ready to uh, travel down there and then they canceled the trip. Um, mm. So then I kept teaching my classroom stuff in seminars at film festivals uh and then after that i was like i mean i think i can turn this into a book and so then i wrote the guide for every screenwriter which is directly taken from my classroom course for the kids that i was going to teach in ghana and so all of these things and then from there i've met several people and i've been doing book tours and doing signings so i mean i've created a lot of moments of opportunity that have, um, you know, upped my public persona. So um, I think doing that, I mean, you don't have to write a book on screenwriting. You can if you want, I'll read it. But um, you have to really be your own protagonist and your own story out there and being active and making things happen. It's more than just sitting at home, writing the script, and then signing up and, and hoping nothing happens. You want to go on the pitch. You want to pitch the script. You want to be active. And and uh, and I think what you guys are doing is providing that opportunity for people to really be the hero of their own story. I think what you said rings so true because you do give yourself the opportunities that you want. Like if you want to direct something, well, you have a phone. You have friends around that will help you do something that you're passionate and creative about. Like there's only you telling yourself no. Well, there's a lot of people telling us no in Hollywood. Well, we choose to <laughs> ignore them and make our own stuff if we can. We just have um, to, yeah, we can say, well, it's not a no right forever. It's just a no for today. It's not a no. Yeah. I was, I was, I was in a meeting. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, okay. please go ahead. I don't like, I, I don't mean to step on people. Um, I was in a, I was in a meeting at a cafeteria. This has happened several times at a cafeteria, at a cafe. This happened several times. And the writer was just like down. I'm like, what does it matter? Are you okay? And they're like, if I could just option a script, I would feel like I did it. I did something and then I could like move on. He said, really? You just need an option a script? Yeah. I said, okay. I took out a napkin. I wrote down, I'm optioning this script for one year. And then I handed him a dollar. I said, can you sign here, please? And he signed. I said, okay, I've optioned your script. You are now an option screenwriter. I expect you to add that to your resume anywhere you go and just a light bulb clicked something changed something like that just being able to call themselves an option screenwriter they were able to find a little bit of confidence in themselves and move on and make it happen and and so and I said and then I'm serious this is my script for a year now and and, and <laughs> they had it and, and so it's just like little things like that um can just yeah. help kind of push you into the next level because we all get we all get down. I mean, I've had plenty of my own dark nights of the soul. Absolutely. Art, can people email you and uh, 
You'll give them a dollar so, for their... <laughs> <laughs> That we'll is put your an, email that in is the an show in-person notes. Starbucks offer. <laughs> uh, so speaking of offers that you give, what is WeFixYourScript.com? Oh, yeah. WeFixYourScript.com is, is mm-hmm. my, uh, is it is what it is. So uh, we offer notes and consultations for anybody um, struggling with their work or looking looking to take the writing down to the next level. I offer mentorships on there so that you can you can sit with me for hour-long sessions and we can go over your script together. What's really cool about that is that I use it on Writer Duet. So we'll actually go through your script together and we will, you know, look at okay, let's let's reword this character introduction. Let's take a look at your theme. And I'll work with um with writers that way. And I mean, it's been quite successful. I've had writers make it to the top 1% on Coverfly after doing uh, mentorships with me. So it's pretty, pretty cool. I worked with another writer. Uh, and this is this, I know I'm not taking credit for this, but they won Nichols. So like, I mean, it's, it's pretty, we've had some pretty great success. Um, and then for any producers or directors out there, they can go on We Fix Your Script. I fix scripts. So I will go on there. I'll do a rewrite of a script that's in trouble getting ready for production, or I'll rewrite a script that's getting ready to be optioned if they're looking to, you know, please a producer. Um, so I will do things like that. That's amazing. That just speaks to the power of peer review. My last question, and I yep. saved the fun one for the end. Um, I'm often joking with my friends about misquoting them on IMDb. I'm like, I'm going to put that as your quote on IMDb. That's awesome. Uh, it's funny for me, <laughs> but I was re- but I was reading your IMDb, and okay. you had something interesting on there. I want to make sure that it's true, so I'm going to test the validity of it. It said something about you, um, you know, or are proficient in kenjutsu. Kenjutsu, yeah, that's that's true. That's real. That's not. I'm not being trolled. <laughs> so tell me, just fun. What is that, and how did you get into it? I have a shodan, which is a black belt in iaido and kenjutsu, and so what that is is that's the sword style of the samurai. So um, iaido is the art of drawing and cutting the sword. So when the sword is the katana is in the sheath. And they draw and cut. That's iaido. So that that's its own art. Kenjutsu cool. is when the sword is out and you are actively dueling. Um, so that's kenjutsu. So we we trained in both. Um, I trained for ten years, uh, and I had um, I had to learn sai. So I have you know I had to learn sai because sai is a tool you can use to actually uh, defend against a sword. That's actually the point of the sai. You can grab a sword and just disarm someone um real quick and, describe uh, what a sai is for our listeners because okay not um, do you familiar. know ninja turtles yeah yeah there we go R- Raphael, the red one yeah he uses sai so i had to use those pretty cool weapon um and uh yeah and then i did that for 10 years i also did uh kung fu for 10 years before that so i did 20 years of martial arts before my knee gave out and then and i went into retirement now i just shadow box on my own What's sorry, go ahead, Angel. Was um Star Wars an inspiration either consciously or subconsciously for this sword study? I mean, no. You want another what you would say feels like a movie origin story? I'll give it to you. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. 
my mom took me to the theater. It was a star theater, which is a local theater in 84. So I was six and it was big for me. I didn't really get out of the house much because we were going through a lot of trouble at the time, a lot of problems. <clears throat> so when we went out at six, when she took me to the theater at six, it was, it was an escape from the chaos at home. Uh, the theater was full and my mom took me to see, um, uh, the the not empire return of the jedi she took me to see return of the jedi so we're in there we're watching and there's this moment where darth vader walks on the screen and at the same time as he walks off the screen somebody appears in the aisle aisle dressed up as darth vader and had a lightsaber and so the the theater attendant had timed it on purpose so that as theater walked off as vader walked off the screen he walked onto the aisleway it was brilliant. But as a six-year-old who just <laughs> saw Star Wars, it blew my mind. I mean, you would have thought I was seeing Superman live. And so he's walking by and I'm like, Mom, I want to touch his cape, you know, because the cape is blowing in the wind as he's walking by the aisle. So as I just didn't even ask for permission. I started crawling over people <laughs> in the aisle to get to Darth Vader. And people were picking me up and ushering. I was like crowd surfing over to the aisle. And then as he walked by, I touched his cape. And then that was it. I mean, I was just like Star Wars kid after that. Um, and so I think that is the birth of my love of cinema. If it's able to provide something like that to a lost six-year-old, um, imagine what it could do for anybody. I mean, I've been, I've watched films that help me with dealing with the loss of a loved one. I mean, it's it's crazy the power of cinema. So yeah, that that's the origin why I have so much dorky stuff behind me. I love that story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, I was a movie theater projectionist, so I, you were. I always wanted like to be years. one. Oh yeah, my it was God. a lot of fun. That's so awesome. Yeah, but I wanted to ask you just a real quick follow-up question: Is there anything that you learned from your martial arts background in the discipline of it that you apply to your writing? Uh, the tolerance of pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Angel, that. is that true for jujitsu? Uh, one hundred percent. Well, with jujitsu, so you do you do jujitsu. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We have so much in common because a lot of our sword strokes are within jujitsu. Oh yeah, yeah. I because didn't know that. it's well, it's the same movement. Um, when we would go to stab someone, right? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? You're grabbing their arm yeah. and you're turning and twisting them up. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. of all of your movements that you do are based off of sword technique. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. From the Japanese wow. tradition of jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. It's yeah. so cool. That's awesome. That's great that you train. Yeah. For the endurance of pain and just sitting in uncomfortable positions <laughs> that are dangerous. Yes. It is analogous 100%. Sitting in the discomfort and not bailing and just staying relaxed and staying, you know, engaged. I've never had a computer yeah. try to break my arm, but... <laughs> just wait. it helps it helps with the feedback though too when you're getting when you're getting rough feedback you're going well you know this guy's not blacking me out though so yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well jeffrey uh, well, yeah this has been fantastic man thank oh, you so much, so much for much your fun. time yeah and oh, your i'm insight. so glad to be on yeah i really appreciate your time guys i hope people uh check out your your podcast and your book and your website 
Yeah, the successfulscreenreader.com. Um, I'm not really on social media anymore. I kind of yeah. like, I can't do it anymore. Um, but I am on our forums. So if anybody has any screenwriting questions, they can come to the successfulscreenwriter.com and they can hang out with me on the forums and ask away. Great. Give us the name of the book one more time and the website oh, yeah. for fixing screenplays. So the book is the guide for every screenwriter. It was actually listed as one of the best screenwriting books of all time by the Book Authority, which is pretty dope. And um, it's wefixyourscript.com. If people are looking for mentorship or um, or notes, they can go there. Very cool, man. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey D. Calhoun. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, cheers from Hollywood. Cheers from Hollywood. I'd like to say thanks again to Jeffrey D. Calhoun. It's always great to connect with other writers who have chosen to explore this wonderful world of podcasting. This is a real treat for us. Thanks for listening. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time.